It's Monday, May 8th. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Insert Content Here. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Eaton. I'm a digital strategist with Lullabot, and every episode I chat with cool people about what's going on in the world of content strategy, digital publishing, and cool nerd stuff. Uh, this episode, uh, we're welcoming back Nazarbina, um, someone who's an old friend of the podcast and who uh, came on last week uh, to talk to us about uh, about uh, domain modeling and uh, journey mapping and all kinds of cool stuff. And then we realized at the end of the podcast, there was still more cool stuff to talk about. So uh, he's back and uh, welcome again to the show, Nas. Thank you so much. I am very excited to be back so soon. Well, you know, at, at the end of our last podcast, we were talking about all kinds of cool stuff um, about structured, um, well, well-modeled content and how a fuller understanding of like the, the business and the, um, the, basically the domain that the content exists in, um, both in terms of, you know, business processes and how, you know, potential customers are approaching it and what they're looking for, how that stuff can inform and help create a richer, more, I guess, more accurate and useful content model. Um, and then when we were initially talking about it, you, you, you dropped a bomb and you said, oh, and also we're working on AI stuff, which... You, you had me at AI just as a, as a longtime <laughs> nerd. So I'm going to ask, what intelligent, adaptive content and artificial intelligence that I, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Okay. So um, the intelligent content world has always, always kind of been plagued by the idea that people thought we meant, we meant AI before AI. So... Just to be clear, clear here, when we talk, talk about intelligent, aka structured, aka semantic, aka adaptive um, content, um, and there's there is some dif- distinction between those aka's. You can check out our first podcast, <laughs> uh, not last week, but the one a couple of, from a while back, to discuss the difference between those things. But basically, when we said the term intelligent content, people thought we meant automated, magical content plus scripts plus whatever they do. Robots and writing we, our articles. Exactly, which we never did. We never, ever, ever meant that. We just meant more intelligently modeling the source material so that you could do more intelligent things with it, should you wish to. Um, So what's interesting about the intelligent content world is that we're structuring content in the background semantically based on its actual inherent meaning. So we don't say hero, side panel, body. We say product description short product overview, key features list, and so on and so on. The human and, and, it's up to, and it's up to a particular yeah. channel's approach to presenting that stuff to decide that product features are hero sidebar. Exactly. So we have uh, we had an example where I had to go a couple of rounds with a, with a client who eventually came around and became very enthusiastic. But originally she's like, oh, but they're heroes. We call them heroes. The hero <laughs> is the thing that where you have your your product name and your image and your key features and, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like so it's an overview <laughs> she said yeah but it's a hero and I said yes but 
we want to reuse exactly that same content over here as a related kind of um, you might also like box. And it's not a hero there. It's not a hero there. So is that content a hero or is that presentation style a hero? And so that was a very good example for us to separate. Like carousel doesn't mean anything. Carousel of what? Carousel of albums, carousel of images, carousel of, of books. Car- you know, So just because it looks like that, that's not what the content is. There's no such thing as content for carousels. You may design something that looks nice in a carousel, but um, what we're really trying to do here is say, what is the content in its raw state before it is presented? So that's intelligent content. Artificial intelligence, I'm not going to, I don't think I need to define because <laughs> it's like the, the nerd holy grail. Um, but what we're doing with artificial intelligence saying, okay, well, we come from the intelligent content world where everything is just a channel. Websites are at a channel, search engines and, you know, knowledge graphs are a channel, um, uh, print is a channel. Human beings are a channel because we provide them content and then they provide that con- that knowledge on by proxy to our users. So we we're, we're, that's the world we come from. Everything's a channel. Then someone says, I want to do an artificial intelligence conversational UI chatbot. Ah, uh, the, the, the holy grail chatbots. That's been a really hot topic over the past year or so. Exactly. And so... The, our smarter clients are saying, well, we want con- we want chatbots to just be a channel. We don't want to reformat and rewrite all of our content so that it's conversational and it can be fed to a chatbot. That's a huge, huge waste. And if chatbots are going to be anywhere near as big as everyone thinks they're going to be, then we definitely don't want to be doing that because then we were literally doubling our effort. Um, and, and that makes it, and, and that doubling of effort makes it just punishingly difficult, but essentially impossible for most organizations to experiment with potentially valuable channels early in their life cycle. Exactly. So the, the, the options there are you either do chatbots really, really crap. <laughs> like the, the chatbot is extremely dumb and can only answer very few specific quest kinds of questions and then take you to the website or something. Or you, um, you double your effort. So what we're saying is what is, what is the strategic uh, path through the middle? What is the best of both worlds? And that is structuring content intelligently enough that we can transform it out as a web page for a human being to read and consume like a normal web page, but transform that same knowledge out such that it's ingestible by a chatbot. And that's exciting stuff. So that's, that's fascinating. And like, I mean, most of the times that I've seen this tackled, um, again, as you said, either the results become dumb, you're essentially putting the summary results of a single search keyword hit and having the chatbot read it off, you know, I mean, it, it, that may be exaggerating, but it feels like a lot of the, a lot of the naive solutions to that essentially turn the chatbot into a search interface, um, or just giving up and and like uh, relying on like Google level natural language processing that promises to be auto magical black box, but still is sort of baffling in its. Um, in its real world implementation for anyone other than like Google or Facebook or whatever, you know, mm. it's, it's basically throwing black box magical algorithms developed by multinational conglomerates at the problem and hoping that it makes something that's useful and applicable. 
But yeah. the idea is that if the, it, I'm, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm sort of going over this. It, it, the the idea you're talking about is if the work of semantic structuring and capturing meaning is done well enough, then a lot of these AI um, tasks that we for a long time thought would require essentially the ability to understand English in some sort of deep fashion to perform don't really have to be that complicated. It can be essentially you're, you're creating AI that's smart enough to recognize certain kinds of questions and remix components to produce an answer. Is that, um, am I in the neighborhood? You, you are. The, 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 the devil in the details is what's a component. Aha, so yes. when, we, when we talk about component content, we often talk about what, what we call modular content. So a module, when you say module, you are kind of expecting a certain amount of heft. So you don't expect a single bullet item or word to be a module. Yeah, like a module tends to be a thing that, even if it could benefit from more content, in some fashion stands alone as a thing a human would look at and get something out of. Exactly. So a part number definitely does not qualify. Um, so when we talk about components, though, you can they're fractal. So you can have components with subcomponents with subcomponents, and you can build up components as big as you want. Yeah, obviously, at one point, it gets a little bit silly when you're going down, as in we're, we theoretically could have components that contained a single character, but uh, that would be very, very particular niche case. So, and sorry, I'm Canadian there, niche. <laughs> I'm to, for your American viewers, niche. Um, um, Sorry, I'm, I'm recovering from having said that pronunciation. <laughs> it, 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 it's a safe place. It, it's all good. Okay. okay, don't trigger me. Okay, so uh, the components, when we're talking about components, we are adding to, needing to add a load of components to each particular module of content. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me de-vague this a little bit. So I'll give you an example of your pamphlet that comes with your cough medicine. Okay. Okay. That's that could be that's one information product which could have multiple multiple uh, modules. So it could have um, dosage, um, target uh, target like you know who should take it and who shouldn't, um, com the ingredients, the you know safe age. So there's all sorts of areas within that information product, um, which is that leaflet, which could be consumable on paper, obviously. But we fast forward to Nerd Valhalla. And I've got my um, I've got my cough medicine and I'm, and I'm taking it and I go, hey Alexa, um, can I combine this with alcohol? Very nauseous question. And um, what we then need to do is understand uh, each of those modules and be able to go within them and have a much more sophisticated understanding of the components in there. And so, and to be clear for anybody who's listening, this isn't this isn't like an Amazon level problem because a lot of these tools like Siri and Alexa that um, are, are now have like interfaces for third parties to expose their information to it. Like I think Alexa, you know, tons of news agencies are putting their stuff up. Um, you can create uh, essentially, you know, well. I, I can't reuse the word modules here. We've already done that too much. But you can basically create plugins for a lot of these artificial intelligence services that makes your information available. But the question 
that you're talking about is how do you make sure it's actually useful rather than just punting you off to a web page when it finds something? How can it actually answer a question? And that requires this deeper understanding of the ways that people are going to be asking for questions and how you can recombine stuff in, in, in very granular ways. Extremely granular. And that's the scary bit. So that's the bit that I'm some of the more uh, you know cautious listeners will already be saying, oh, whoa, 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 that's a load of tagging. <laughs> that sounds like lots and lots of tagging. Um, and the, the, the good thing is that artificial intelligence as the new requirement also gives us the new solution for that problem. So artificial intelligence or automation can help us prepare our content for artificial intelligence and automation. So the so if we have let's say we want to do this conversational chatbot um, voice controlled thing on one end and so our content for our leaflet for our cough medicine now has to be tagged to a degree which we would never ever do for any other channel because we're going to have to go in there and say uh, um, you know ingredients and precautions and precautions and on the precautions list there's alcohol and there's a value can be combined with yes or no. So we're going really, really, really deep into what, if you treat it as a document or as a web page, you would never tag to that level to understand that there's the that there's cautions and cautions have like items in it and those items have uh, combinatory guidelines and blah, 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 blah. But what you can do is if you, if you build a taxonomy of these different relationships, in um, you can you start with a domain map. You can listen to our previous uh, podcast. You look at you start with a domain map, or you start with a third-party uh, taxonomy or ontology, which you can get for pharmaceuticals and, and banking, which you might be able to get you eighty percent of the way there. And then you describe that this this module has all these little tiny subcomponents in it, and this is how they relate to each other. What you don't have to do is put all of that actually in the content. So I'll give you an example. Um, I made up the cough medicine one off the top of my head. Okay. So I'll use a slightly related one, which I could, which I know works a little bit easier, um, which is uh, also med- also pharmaceuticals. Um, uh, I am I'm a doctor, and I want to ask uh, Alexa. I've got a patient who's been taking this medicine for three months, and they've got a rash. And so what happens is somewhere the organization has a web page that says um, rash associated with your drug. And, and it says if the patient has had uh, a rash and they are, have been, tr- been treated for, for nine months and the rash is this bad, then you should do this. And if the treatment is, is that bad, then you should do that. So, But when we walk into the organization – it's kind of explained in a flowing paragraph. So what we have to do is we have to say, no, 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 no. What are you actually trying to express here? Mm-hmm. And we put it in a table, which where we have a table that says, if something, then the column on the next table heading is then something else. Okay. And then you can have as, ma- as many rows as you want. You could have 50 rows. So you start breaking things up even before you start saying, here's the actual copy that will be read. Here's the match keywords or whatever. It's a different way of breaking up the content than what we're used to. 
Exactly. But what's cool about that is that way is also better for the human reader of that page because they didn't want an if-then table of options to be expressed as three paragraphs, which I have to read and interpret. That was painful in the first place. So what I'm finding is actually we're, we're making better web pages because we are going in here and saying, what are we truly want, really wanting to say? And what is, the, what is the clearest way to break all this up? And what ends up happening is that that's much better copy. And then once we've done that, you can go in and you tag the name of the drug as product. And then mm-hmm. you tag rash with um, what they, in, in their terminology they call an adverse effect. So, um, and then you can, then you tag, uh, the degree of the rash to with, I think the term is incidence or something like that, or severity. Mm-hmm. And so you, you just tag all these little bits. And what happens then is, um, an AI can look at that page and it doesn't see ne- the, the, all of the details in there. But what it does say, see is we've got product with adverse effect. And then we have an if then structure and it says, if time time x then do action y so what it can then do is you say alexa my patients had a rash of this degree and they've been using the drug for nine months it can go in and say okay if look until it finds something that falls within the nine month range and then look to the next row and then it just reads back then and then the value of that cell and and the interesting thing is is with some of these a with some of these services um, do you even have the capability to do things like ask follow-up questions for clarification, which means that if you can do things like identify another piece of information that we need in order to properly deliver them an informa- you know, information, theoretically, you could, you, know, you could write an even smarter service that would ask for follow-up questions like, oh, we don't know how long you've been using it. How long have you been using it? This is why I love being on your podcast because you always do that. <laughs> so exactly. So I, I'm because, a great shill. <laughs> exactly because you have because you have the kind of like in order to be able to deliver you the answers, then I must have this content on the left column. Then if you don't get that content, then rather than saying answer is not found, <laughs> you can say answer must you know answer must be in this form. I'm looking for time values, so as you said, give me how long or, or if there's only three values, give them the three options. So if, if it's, if red, white, and blue, then X, Y, and Z, then it will say, is it red, white, or blue? Um, is it flashing or is it solid? Is it orange or is it gone bad? So like depending on the number of options, it can make intelligent decisions. If I have 25 potential answers, I'm not going to read you out 25 options. If I got three, I will. Um, so, and we can also, um, if you write the copy correctly, you can even get those, the, the original copy to be half of the follow-up question. So all you need to write is kind of these little scripts that say, um, how much is then the value? And then that little follow-up question can be used for all pages of all kinds that follow that same structure. You know, it, it's actually funny because um, that's, you know, an old like interviewing trick. Um, you know, when you're interviewing somebody, getting them to repeat the question as the start of the answer is a, is a way to make sure that that clip can be reused without the intro. And it, it's a cool. similar kind of a similar kind of thinking of making sure that 
you capture what the question is, but the answer should be able to stand alone as copy or text or something like that without like a fact heading or something. Huh. Cool. Yes, definitely. So um, that's kind of what we're what we're doing. So your your puzzle pieces, as you were, are taxonomy, um, re transformed, not just kind of copy edited, but really transformed uh, source material. But you're going to go, oh, expensive, and I'm going to go, well, yeah. But <laughs> you're getting the a you're getting the chatbot and the AI bit, and you're also getting better copy, much so much better copy, which is more. Uh, App, uh, you know, smartphone, phone, uh, responsive design, everything. It's friendly personalization. It's more friendly for all of those, and you get chatbots as a bonus. You know, the the interesting thing is, is so many of the sort, of, I guess, hot delivery channels that people are getting excited about these days are coincidentally also very, very thin as far as how much content that they can deliver at one point. Exactly. Um, and I think that's one of the challenges that we always faced. Even going desktop to mobile was just such a huge shift for people who had been used to producing, quote, pages, because the amount that they could jam onto your screen was reduced so dramatically. And, you know, obviously, you know, you got a, you got a smartwatch, you know, nobody wants to read an article to find out the answer to a question, even if that answer is, yes, you can do that safely. Um, so it's, so, okay, a follow-up question that I think that, that I'm starting to think about, like how much of an organization's content needs to get this kind of treatment? I guess that varies, but like I'm assuming like this isn't necessarily the kind of treatment that you would use for everything that's produced. It's certain high value stuff that is a good match for these kinds of inquiries. Is, is that is that a reasonable assumption on my part? Yeah, absolutely. So content marketing, meh. Uh, you know, what are you going to chat about best practices for small business owners with the, with your Alexa? No. So it, it really is really good for product information and knowledge. So, um, if you are, you know, if your organization knows a lot of stuff and you demonstrate that by putting that out and it's factual information, then you can have a conversation with your repository of business knowledge. Um, and one of the things you should be very knowledgeable about is your bloody products. So um, let uh, so I gave you the drug example. This is how you can use this product. Um, how you can safely or not safely uh, use this product. And I could, if you gave me some time, I could probably figure out how to properly do the syntax for that uh, cough medicine example. Um, but your if you say Alexa. Which Samsung smartphone has the most uh, aftermarket addable memory on an SD card? And you get one option, two options, three options, etc. Because that information is properly tagged up. You have um, the brand, the product category, and then that's all you need. So it'll do then, then it does a search for that particular feature. So you have to identify features and then the particular values within the taxonomy. So anything that's describing your products um, or stuff that you know that people may want to ask that will help them move in your direction as a brand, that's the kind of stuff you want to treat. Uh, general, like, like press releases or you, know, meh, you might do some header stuff. The kind of stuff that people are doing that's just sort of shallow things like title short description, mm -hmm. little bits that people are doing, that's probably good for a, 
a body of your content. But if you're a product company, if you're a service company, like if you, for example, if you're like a kayak.com or a, or a, I don't know what's popular in the US, Expedia, um, some like a travel website, all you do is knowledge. Like, yeah, you're a, it's, you, you, you've do, got lots of small bits of data that you assemble into what we now call pages, but you, you could have all sorts of different, much, much smaller assemblies that zero in on a specific fact someone cares about. Exactly. So, like, where where can I go in Eastern Europe to do a tour of 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 great uh, pioneering feminists? You may not have that article, but you might have that that content dotted around in different places, and you might have to do the AI can then do some interpolation, and uh, and it can even reach outside of your content because it. The AI can have access to the rest of Google and the rest of the of the knowledge of the world. Can has access to Wikipedia, and it can start to in, combine your content and its responses with the content that has been properly marked up by the rest of the world. So you get your your knowledge augmented as a service by the AI who's doing the middleware interpretation. It's incredibly exciting stuff. That is uh, that is pretty cool indeed, my friend. Um, so <laughs> you have to wait, but you have to remind, I, uh, I told people I was going to say something and I didn't, and I don't want to okay. let it don't okay, go end for the podcast. It. And, and so I said, automation and AI help you prepare your content. And I never explained what I meant by that. So the implication was there that, uh, you need to prepare your content. You need to do all sorts of granular tagging. So what we can do on the source then is a lot of uh, natural language processing mm-hmm. on the source. So as we are writing or uh, we finish page, we say go, and it does like a spell check, but it's not doing a spell check. It's doing a uh, knowledge architecture check. Like it's looking for month, it's looking for rash, it's looking for product names, it's looking for uh, ranges of time, uh, it's looking for et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so and- it goes through there and says, did you mean, and you can basically say, Okay, yes, that's the product name. That is the instance of rash. No, that's the word polish. It's not the adjective <laughs> polish. And Still so, relying on human intelligence. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. But it, It's an assistive know. tool. The, the AI is an assistive tool for the work that a human could do, but would be full of just tons of brute force, you know, time spent selecting and tagging stuff. And AI sort of feeds the list of things with likely candidates and you can thumbs up thumbs down that stuff is that exactly 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 and i really on really you kind of alluded to a very important point is it really gets on my nerves when people think of the ai as a replacement for human ai the way i describe ai most of the time is within the business it's the dream come true you have infinite interns that you can assign to <laughs> mind-numbing tasks, which individually are not very valuable, but add up enormous to enormous value once done at scale and speed. I think that's pretty cool. I, I'm a big fan of the assistive tools approach. Um, yeah, because I think a couple of the other researchers that I've read about in the past couple of years, certain kinds of like um, business and sports journalism, curiously mm-hmm. enough, there's been a lot of um, work on that. Uh, about having, say, an, an automated tool essentially write business news because mm-hmm. 90% of it, um, you know, other than the media articles, you know, 90% of it is, say, here's the, here's the quarterly reports that a company issued, we're going to summarize them. And that's the kind of stuff that machine learning 
and you know natural language processing can generally work with, but it relies on a ton of human work at the upfront to properly like categorize and structure the, the the knowledge. Like in what you were saying, some of the stuff that can be easily recognized is general purpose things like um, somebody mentioned March 4th. Is that an important date? You know, do you want that to be tagged? And the other one is, you know, domain specific stuff like product names or adverse effect names and stuff like that, recognizing that. So it's the process of building how and what it will look for is still a, a is still something that humans have a big part in. It's not just throwing throwing things at a black box and asking smarts to come out. Exactly, and and not being ashamed of having a having a human workload ongoing. So just because you're involved in an AI um, process uh, somewhere as a link in the chain doesn't mean that they're not humans involved. We're not replacing people. Even even with that up, we do have to do that upfront stuff too. But. The, the the machines can be drafting or suggesting and accelerating human beings so that they can do things, mm-hmm. not so that human beings, as you just said, can just kick back and not show up to work. <laughs> well, you know, it's we all have our dreams, um, <laughs> but well, you know, I I want to say uh, this is this is definitely exciting stuff. If there are folks who are interested in digging into this a bit but may not say have the have the resources to tackle it initially are there any are there any sort of prep steps or even sort of things to put on their eventual to-do list for their for their organization's content that might help them be in a better place um when they when they get the green light or can figure out how to how to embark on the bigger project uh i think just Having understanding schema.org is a good place for anyone in the world today. Is understand schema.org and uh, how you can do semantic markup in your content. And um, this, if you were really, really, really just at the beginning and just trying to do things basically, uh, would be to look at the, I think it's called the Structured Markup Helper, Google Structured Markup okay. Helper, um, something like that. And it's just basically this tool that Google gives you, uh, yeah, Structured Data Markup Helper. And what that does is it gives you basically a paintbrush and you can paint your website with semantics. And you say, this is my product names, this is my titles, this is my authors, these are my published dates. And then as long as you don't change your CSS, it will remember, okay, that thing is always in that place, at, in that color, in that size. And it will then reverse engineer uh, from your visuals, which I know is something that you personally will get a kick out of. It will take from your design language, the semantic implied language, and then it will create markup for you. That's pretty cool. I will have to check that out. And uh, on that note, I want to say thank you again for uh, for joining us and uh, taking time to to dig into this stuff. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing seeing what the uh, the end result of this stuff is when it hits the public. So keep us keep us in the loop. Will do. Tweet me if you want. Keep Absolutely. Um, so that's that's actually a great point. Um, how can people uh, get in touch with you uh, on on Twitter or the the internet's uh, if they're interested in finding out more? So uh, I do do tweets. Uh, so yeah, you can just at Nozurbina, um, uh, N-O-Z, and then Urbina, I guess, hopefully as it sounds. And then uh, um, you can do LinkedIn as well. So it's uh, U-R-B-I-N-A is the last name. And yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn are the best ways to make initial contact. And then let's start a chat. Sounds great. Well, uh, I'm sure we will be talking again. And uh, good luck with your robots. 
Thank you so much, Jeff. Uh, we'll, we'll look forward to the next one. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us with Insert Content here. If you're interested in more episodes,